0: All right, well this morning uh, we're going to wrap up our series entitled, Eagerly Waiting. And we began a few weeks ago talking about what does it mean to begin to live a life of anticipation? What does it mean if we begin to live a life of anticipation, eagerly expecting, right, the return of Jesus Christ? So let's look at our scripture together. Philippians chapter 3, the apostle Paul says, Dear brothers and sisters, Patterns your lives after mine, and learn from those who follow our example. And I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct show that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction, their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. And two weeks ago we talked about what we called three characteristics of perverted Christianity based on verse 19. And then verse 20 says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for Him to return as our Savior. And He will take away our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like His own, using the same power with which He will bring everything under His Control. Last week we talked about what are we waiting for. We talked about we're waiting for heaven, right? We're waiting to see Jesus. We're waiting for our glorified bodies. Well, today, if you look at that first point on your outline, we want to answer this question today. We want to answer how does a life of anticipation impact the way we live our lives? How does a life of anticipation, if I am eagerly waiting the return of Christ, if I am anticipating His return as my Lord and Savior, how does that impact and affect the way I live my everyday life. So we're going to look together in 1 John chapter 3, and we read verse 2 last week, we're going to read it again, and then we're going to look at verse 3 to get our answer. It says, Dear friends, we are already God's children, but He has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He really is." And all who have this eager expectation, right, all who are eagerly expecting to see the Lord, all who are eagerly expecting Christ to return and that one day we're going to be transformed into his image, we're going to be transformed into his likeness, look what he says, and all of us who are eagerly expecting this, look what he says, we will keep, they will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. Look at that next point on your outline. I want you to see what happens? Here's the answer to the question, how does a life of anticipation impact the way we live our lives? Here it is. Anticipation produces purification. Those who are eagerly expecting Christ to return, the Bible says, will keep themselves pure. If I have an anticipation of the return of Jesus, guess what will happen? Out of that anticipation, that anticipation will produce a purification in my life where I will begin to prepare my heart daily to meet the Lord. Amen? The last part of that statement says this, we are eagerly waiting His return to the degree that we are purposely pursuing purity. Not perfectly, I'm a human, I've never done anything perfectly, but purposely pursuing purity in every area of our life. So what I want to use that last statement for is simply this, here is a measuring rod. How do I measure? my eager expectation? How do I measure my anticipation that I'm actually looking for and expecting the return of Jesus? Well, I measure my anticipation by my purposeful pursuit of purity, the degree that I'm pursuing a life of purity is a reflection of whether I am really anticipating the return of Jesus Christ. Let's just think about it in the natural realm for just a minute, right? If you're eagerly expecting something to happen, then you begin to prepare your heart for what's coming, right? When you get pregnant, you're nine months out, and you start gathering things together, but when you hit eight months, right, you better get ready right? You better get ready. All of a sudden you're down and you got about four weeks and the baby might come two weeks early and guess what you're doing? You are anticipating a return or an arrival and therefore you are preparing for what is to come. And the closer you get to that expected date, the more you have to pull things together to begin to prepare for what is about to happen. If you are anticipating the return of Jesus Christ, guess what will happen? It will produce a purposeful pursuit of purity in your life. Every time you see or meet a carnal or, or a casual Christian, you know what I can tell you about carnal, casual Christians? They are not eagerly expecting the return of Christ. When you meet a carnal, casual Christian, you know, they're, they're glad they're saved, they're glad they're not going to hell, they're kind of looking forward to heaven, but they're really wanting to enjoy life here on earth, they're not really anticipating the return of Christ, therefore there is no purposeful pursuit of purity. They're just kind of casually living this life because maybe he'll come. I kind of hope he really doesn't come today because I really want to get something done, and I really want to enjoy some things over here. And you know what? i just like to kick back and take it easy for a little while. And so, you know, maybe he'll come, maybe he won't, but I'm just going to kind of cruise through this life and enjoy all I can enjoy that the world has to offer. And when he gets really close, I'm going to get ready because, you know, I want to be ready when he comes, but I'm not really anticipating his return. I mean, think about it on your job, right? When, when the boss is out of town, the people that are not really committed to excellence, the people that are not really committed to doing the job well, the people that really, they don't really want a job, they just want a paycheck, y'all know people like that? Don't, don't, don't elbow nobody, but y'all know people, they don't want a job, they just want a paycheck. And so when the boss is out of town, the workers will play, right? They'll just kind of cruise back, and, and they'll lax back, and they'll lay back, and, and all of a sudden the boss shows up. Man, when the boss shows up, right, everybody gets to work, right? You're like, we're over here doing something, and we're making, sure, we're making sure something's happening, right? Because all of a sudden if you're expecting the boss to be there, you know what you're going to do? You're going to make sure you're busy. But if you think the boss is out of town and he ain't going to be here for the next five days, if you don't have a real commitment to the company, then you'll kick it in cruise control, and you'll just lax your way through the next five days because the boss ain't here. We got a lot of lax Christians that are not anticipating and expecting The return of Jesus Christ, because the Bible says that if you are eagerly expecting His return to see Him and be made like Him, then you will keep yourself pure. Let me give you a thought this morning. Look at this next statement on your outline. Jesus is returning for a pure bride. Jesus is returning for a pure bride. Ephesians chapter 5 says this. It says, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave up his life for her. Right? He gave up his life for her. We just celebrated the death of Jesus Christ. We just celebrated the fact that He laid down His life on a cross for us. But I want you to look at the next two, two verses because verse 26 and 27 tell us why He did why he, what He did. It tells, it gives us actually His expectation. How many of you ever helped somebody with an expectation that they were actually going to do something? Right? You know, right now, if I I go out on a limb for you, I actually expect you, you know, if I help you get that job, I want you to show up, right? I help you get this loan, I actually want you to pay the payments, right? And and so, in, in in verse 26 or verse 25, the Bible tells us that Jesus gave up his life for the church, that's us. Now, verse 26 tells us why he did it, to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's Word, and He did this, here's the expectation Christ has, He did this to present her to Himself as a glorious church without a spot or a wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. When Jesus gave His life on the cross, He had an expectation that you were going to take the sacrifice He made, and you were going to apply it to your life in such a way that you were going to be able to one day present yourself to Him holy and spotless and without blame. He's coming for a pure bride, right? Think about it for just a minute. Jesus purchased us with His blood. Jesus washes us with His Word. Jesus empowers us by the Holy Spirit, so we are without excuse. Right? He purchased you and I with his blood, reconciled us into a right relationship with God, brought us back into the favor of the Father. He then gave us his word to wash us and cleanse us and purify us. He then filled us with the Holy Spirit so that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And then he says, be pure. Take what I've given you. Take what I purchased for you and allow it to work in your life so that you actually can present yourself back to me as a bride that is pure and ready, amen? He's returning for a pure bride. Look at this next statement, I want you to see this. I want to give you a simple definition of purity. What does it mean to be pure? To be pure simply means, in in its basic biblical definition, to be undefiled or unmixed. To be undefiled or unmixed. The best illustration I've heard, or story I've heard that describes that is simply this, A a young teenage boy was uh, discussing with his dad he wanted to go to an R-rated movie. And his dad told him no, and they began to get in an argument over the fact that he couldn't go to his movie. All his friends were going to the movie, everybody was talking about the movie, and he wanted to go to the movie. And he said, well, Dad, there's, you know, there's just a little bit of nudity, there's just a little bit of profanity, there's just a little bit of this. And Dad, you know what? A little bit just won't hurt. And his dad said, son, you're not going to go to the movie? He said, come on, Dad, everybody's doing it. And he stomped out mad and went to his room. A couple hours later, the dad, the dad went up and called his son down. He said, son, come on down. He said, I want you to come down to the kitchen. He said, I want to talk to you about that movie. They walked down to the kitchen, and on the, on the kitchen table was a batch of fresh hot brownies, and he had already cut one, put it on a plate, set it at the table where his son usually sits. He said, son, he said, he said, let me just say, I, I, want, I made these brownies for you. I want you to eat that brownie. When you get done eating that brownie, he said, I think I've changed my mind. I'm going to let you go to that movie. And we're going to have another conversation about it. Man, his son, his eyes lit up. He got real excited. He grabbed that brownie and started shoving it in his mouth. He said, hold up just one second. Before before you eat that brownie, he said, I need to tell you something. He said, I used your mama's recipe when I made that brownie. He said, I cooked it just like she always does. He said, and it's amazing. He said, except for I added one thing. He said, I went out in the backyard and I scooped up one teaspoon full of dog poop. (laughs) And I mixed it in the brownies. So I hope you enjoy it. Enjoy it. What do you mean, Dad? Why would you feed me poopy brownies? This is gross. I'll never eat this, Dad. He said, well, there's just a little, and a little won't hurt. What does it mean to be pure? It means to be unmixed and undefiled by the things of this world, because the Bible says a little leaven, which represents sin leavens the whole lump, how many know a little sin hurts? It's a lie of the enemy that a little sin won't hurt. A little compromise, a little sin, a little perversion corrupts the whole. And you know what? You wouldn't eat brownies with poop in it, but we pay good money for the poop of this world. Think how much time, energy, effort, and money you have spent on poop. Probably not great preaching, but anyway, y'all getting the point, amen? Not proper etiquette, but I, I just thought the Lord said the point is more important than the etiquette today, so let's get the point. So, the point is, right? Purity matters. It matters in the foods you eat. It matters out of the glass you drink out of. And it matters to God about your life. Purity matters. And if we're anticipating, then we are purifying our hearts because we want to be ready to meet him. Let me give you four areas of purity. We've got just a few minutes, so y'all listen quickly. All right. First one is we need pure thoughts. This is critical. This is essential because out of your thoughts comes everything else in your life. Philippians 4.8 says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Why do pure thoughts matter? Why do our thoughts need to be pure? Why do we need to fix our mind on those things? I want to tell you why. Because the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Your thoughts determine your actions, your thoughts determine your words, your thoughts determine the course of your life. I want you to think about something real quickly. Adultery, bankruptcy, and addiction all begin as thoughts. Adultery, bankruptcy, and addiction all begin as thoughts, right? Before you go out and have an affair, you think about having an affair. You think about that person you think about pornography. Before you go into bankruptcy, you think about the money you're going to spend, and you justify in your mind why you should spend the money that you know you don't have. Before you become addicted to anything, it becomes a thought in your mind, and you believe a lie that a little just won't hurt, right? One drink won't hurt me. One party will be okay. One night out with a, with a wild, somebody will, will be all right, it ain't going to change anything. It all begins with a thought. We've got to be pure in our thoughts. The Bible says in the book of James that if you're double-minded, you are unstable in all of your ways. What does it mean to be double-minded? To have two thoughts. God's thought and the world's thought. God's thought and your thought. God's thought and somebody else's thought. And if your mind is tormented by thoughts, we all know this, right? Joyce Meyer said it well when she said the battlefield is the mind. It happens in our mind. And that battle rages, and we become double-minded. And when you become double-minded, torn between what God says and what the world says, what God says and what you feel, what God says and what you want, all of a sudden you find yourself in a place where the Scripture says you become unstable, not just in one area, but in all your ways. we got to be pure in our thoughts. How do we get pure in our thoughts? By the washing of the water of the Word. How many of you realize that we live in a filthy world? Spiritual filth is everywhere, right? We are constantly, consistently being bombarded with thoughts and images and ideas that are contradictory to the Word and the will of God for our lives. And it's not enough for you to get a bath one day a week, right? If you bathe one day a week, guess what? You're going to spiritually stink. And a lot of Christians spiritually stink, why? Because they get a bath on Sunday at church. And the only time they're washing in the water of the Word is when somebody's preaching at them or teaching them or leading them through a Bible study. How many know you need the Word of God every day because you need to wash your mind from the filth and the mire that comes against you consistently on a daily basis? We've got to have pure thoughts. Second thing, we've got to have pure words. Pure words. Why do words matter? Well, the Bible says death and life's in the power of the tongue. We need pure words, right? Look at our scripture, Ephesians chapter 4. It says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Right? We need purity in our words. Our words need to be pure, they need to bring life, right? The Bible says your life will be filled with the fruit of your words. James says this in James chapter 3, he says, with our mouth, with our words, we bless God, and with our words, we curse men who are made in the image of God. And then he says, these things ought not to be, right? Our words have got to be pure. Our words have got to bring edification and exhortation and grace to those who hear. That's a good standard for my words, right? Because sometimes we'll get real sarcastic as Christians, and we'll use our words to belittle people and make fun of people, and then we'll say, oh, I was just joking. Well, how come they're not laughing? They're not laughing because your words hurt. They were sarcastic. They were critical. They cut to the core, and you're the only one that walked away laughing. How many know if you're telling a joke and you're the only one laughing, it's probably not funny? Let no corrupt words proceed out of your mouth. Why? Because you need to be pure in your speech. Your words need to be pure. Why? Because God is coming for you. Amen? We ought to be anticipating His return. We need number three, pure actions. Pure actions. Right? Our lives should be pure. I love this scripture, James 3.13. It says, if you are wise and understand God's ways, I love this next two words, prove it. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it. Look what it says, by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. I meet people all the time that know the Bible and can quote the Bible and can, can tell you what the Bible says, and you start counseling and talking to them, they're like, yeah, I know that, and yeah, I know that, and yeah, I know that, but they're not doing nothing. They're not living a Christian life. They're not living a life that honors God. They're not living an honorable life. They're not doing good works with humility that comes from wisdom. They're living corrupt, perverted lives that are defiled by the things of this world. Why? Because it's not enough to know it. i got to live it. How many you know Jesus died to empower you to live a Christian life? 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. Jesus said, he who, or the Scripture says, he who says he abides in him, speaking of Jesus, ought himself also to walk even as he walked. Right? We ought to walk like Jesus, talk like Jesus, act like Jesus. Why? Because the Spirit of Christ lives in us. And Jesus is coming for a pure bride. Last one, here we go, number four. We need pure relationships. Pure relationships. Let me give you that last Scripture. Let's go to the last Scripture. First Corinthians 15, 33, don't be deceived evil company corrupts good habits. Don't be deceived, right? You can't, you can't walk with the world, live with the world, act like the world, and not get dirty. We need, we need pure relationships. We need relationships that edify and build us up. We need relationships that empower us and enable us to be the person God has called us to be. That doesn't mean we don't reach out to lost people. doesn't mean we don't reach out to hurting people. doesn't mean we don't reach out to broken people. But it means there are some definite boundaries that we set in our life that determine how close we let unbelievers into our world. Because if you're not careful, you'll let them in so deep that evil company will corrupt good habits. And let me know it's a lot easier to pull somebody down the mountain than it is to pull them up. Let me give you a final thought right here. Here's our last thought for the day. If there's anything you're thinking, anything you're saying, anything you're doing, and any relationship that you're in that you would not want to be actively involved in when Jesus returns, you need to cut it out. If you're doing, saying, thinking acting in any way that you would not want Jesus to return in that moment, then that thing is defiling your heart. And Jesus was real clear. He said, if your hand causes you to sin, if your eye causes you to sin, did He want us to walk through life lame and blind? No, I believe He was trying to make a point we need to be serious about the things that defile our hearts, disconnect us from the purpose of God, and keep us from presenting ourselves before Him. I want you just to bow your heads this morning. If you're here today and maybe you don't know Jesus, you've never been saved, you've never trusted the Lord, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. See, Jesus is coming. You say, well, Pastor Keith, I've heard that my whole life. Well, you might hear it till you die, but if you die before he comes, guess what? You're still going to meet him when you die. And you've never met anyone that escaped death. Death comes to every man. Everyone will stand before God. Everyone will give an account for their life. And Jesus is coming for a pure bride. Is there anything in your life today that's defiling you? Thoughts, words, actions, relationships? Today you need to cut them off. Today you need to bring them to the Lord. Today you need to begin a brand new path. God, I want to eagerly anticipate your coming. And here's the exciting thing. It is anticipation that produces purification. So I want you to hear this, and I'm going to close. The way you increase your desire of purity, or the way you increase purity, is you increase intimacy. Because the more intimate you are with God, the more anticipation you will will have for His return. You'll be looking forward to meeting him, not just when he comes from heaven, but every day as you walk with Jesus. And out of that anticipation will come a purification. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus and you want to accept him, I'm going to give you a moment right now. Say, Pastor Keith, I want to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want to make my heart ready to meet the Lord. I want you just to raise your hand real quick. We're not going to linger long. God bless that hand. I'm going to give you... Three more seconds if you want to raise your hand. I want to know Jesus. I want to be ready to meet the Lord. Let's just pray this prayer together, all of us out loud. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins, rose again on the third day, paid the price for my sins. I ask you to forgive me. Become the Lord and Savior of my life. I choose to follow you. And I confess today that Jesus is Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a round of praise.